you have a Bible, I invite you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, that's the text that we will be uh, looking at this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we would invite you to follow along. You can find a Bible in the pew back in front of you, um, and you can find uh, this reading on page 955 in that particular Bible. Uh, we find ourselves now in a series that we've called All In, a study that we have been looking at, what it means for us to be, as it were, all in for Jesus Christ. What does it mean for us to be a disciple, a committed follower of Jesus Christ? What are the marks of a follower of Jesus on each of our lives? And so each of these last several weeks, we've been looking at these different, um, different characteristics, and now we come to the second of our last characteristics and that of connecting, of connecting, or being, as it were, in Christian fellowship or Christian community. And so that's what we'll be giving our time and thinking to this morning. But prior to our getting into this particular text and prior to our getting into our study for this morning, I thought it appropriate for, for us to take a moment and to pause, because I don't know if you know, but there's something happening on Tuesday. Um, oh, you knew. Oh. <laughs> For some, it hasn't come quickly enough. Um, and so I thought it appropriate for us to pause and take a moment before we study the Word of God to go to the God of the Word and to pray. So will you please join me as we pray? Father, we have already come before you and we have already been singing your praises. We've been asking and petitioning you that you would meet with us as we seek to draw near to you, that you would draw near to us as we have desired as your family and as your church to come together and bring our praises and adoration to you, trusting that what we've been doing is bringing a smile to your face. Thank you for this privilege. Yet, Father, we this morning also affirm and confirm with your word, we knowing that you are a God who sustains all things. The fact that we have breath in our lungs is only because of your goodness and your grace to us this morning, and we say thank you. We thank you for the rise of a morning sun and for the rest that we were able to receive, and even an extra hour for some, unless you have small children. And Father, we again are reminded this morning that you are completely sovereign and in control of all things. That you are the only authority in all of the world. And that, only, that whatever authority is given and bestowed on earth comes from you and is under your reign and your rule. We are reminded this morning that, you, that the earth is your footstool. And that from beginning to end, you are in control of all things. And so will you allow that truth to reign in each of our hearts in these moments? And Father, we recognize what is before us in the week that is ahead of us uh, this week. As we each go and seek to live out our faith with fear and, and, and live out our faith with fear and trembling. Father, in our nation and in our country and in our world, we pray that peace may reign. We pray for justice. We pray for mercy. And Father, we pray for not only our next president, but for all elected officials, that you will help us to have a proper attitude and respect, that we will give honor to those to whom you call us to give honor and respect to those whom you call us to give respect. And Father, as we seek to live out our faith this week, as we go not only to, not only to cast our ballots, but also 
more importantly, in our homes and in our works, maybe, that the peace of Christ may reign in each of our hearts and each of our homes and in each of our lives. We come to you in the name of Jesus, who is our peace. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. This week I was, I had called a friend of mine. Uh, he's, he's my best friend. And I haven't spoken to him for a long time. That's how it goes with best friends. He doesn't live here. And I just needed to hear his voice. I just needed to tell him about my life. I just needed him to know what was going on with me. And I just needed his counsel and his word of encouragement. And, and I just needed to tell him that I needed him in my life. That over the course of the last couple of months, it became ev- abundantly and evidently clear to me that I needed him, even though I haven't spoken to him in months even. Just knowing that he was in my orbit, knowing that he was in my world, and I needed to tell him, and I was ready to tell him over voicemail, but he actually picked up the phone, which was a grace to me from God, I believe. You see, because we're not meant to go through this world by ourselves, we're not meant to live out our relationship with God by ourselves on our own. We are meant to be in relationship first with God and then with others. We need one another. We need the Christian community. We need Christian connection. We need Christian fellowship. And the reason is because that's at the very core of who God is himself. There is God the Son, God the the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in intimate and deep relationship. And so as we are together as the church and as we enter into deep relationships with one another, we are imaging God. And that's why we are designed, in order to image him. And so I was blessed. And yet, here's the reality, though, isn't it? That it can be difficult, can't it, to get into being in Christian community, to build Christian relationships. That's part of the reason when we did this series, when we put this series together, that we did community groups or, con- or uh, our connect groups alongside the series because we wanted to provide easy connection points for you to be able to connect with other people as you think through what it looks like for us to be a disciple, a committed follower of Jesus. As we look at that together, and that's why we wanted to create some of these groups, and yet sometimes, even though there may be an easy on-ramp, and we take that on-ramp, sometimes letting other people into our lives and actually caring about other people's lives can be hard, even in the name of Jesus, even though we know we need it. It's a challenge for us, and it's something we long for, it's something we're desperate for, and something we would resist all at the same time. It's a fascinating thing of the Christian journey of the Christian life. Christian connection is hard. Christian connection is necessary. And Christian connection brings glory to God. There's a Christian writer and blogger. Her name is Addie Zyerman. I don't know if you know her or not, but I was, re- I was struck by something that she wrote as she was pondering this. She, was, she and her husband had moved from one particular town to another town, and when they had moved there, they were in desperate need of connection and of relationships, and so they went to this church, and she, she writes about her experience of saying that she was looking for what she said, our people. I was looking for my people. So she went to this church and they jumped into a small group and this is what she says. The small, group, the, the small group that we found was not like that. They weren't her people. Not by a long shot. Three couples were in this small group, all, young, all of us young, 
James and Bree were younger than me by a year, starry-eyed for Jesus and pregnant with their first baby. Mike and Liz were engaged, and he played drums in the church's worship team. They were not angsty, especially not James and Bree, whose house was full of devotional books and angel tree figurines. They all wanted to do a church-wide group studies written by megachurch pastors, studies with titles like One Month to Live and Love and Respect. I, on the other hand, wanted to drink a lot and cry and sort through my doubts. I remember one night in particular when we gathered at the, around the, the circle at James and Bree's tiny town home living room. We were having our weekly meeting, and we were talking about miracles or God's presence, I can't remember. What I do remember is James propping open his laptop excitedly on the coffee table and saying, you guys, you have to see this. He pulled up a YouTube video and then of some popular Christian band at some wall-to-wall packed Christian conference and I immediately began to feel cringy. I have a host of complicated feelings about Christian bands and Christian concerts, both of which have factored prominently into my, my own complicated faith history. Wait for it, he kept saying, as we squinted at the screen and watched the wobbly iPhone video. Wait for it. I shifted uncomfortably in my spot and studied the carpet. And then, hear it? James practically shouted. I couldn't really. Well, kind of, maybe. I could concede that there might have been the slightest shadow of a high-pitched voice singing a harmony. That's not a singer, James said. He looked at us wide-eyed and amazed, still, even now, watching it for the 15th time on his laptop computer. It's an angel, you guys. I don't know if I disguised it. I hope I disguised it. The eye roll I remember giving that guy at that moment was so cynical and deep and not impressed that it went all the way to the back of my head. I thought, what are we doing here? I thought, these are not my people at all. I wonder if that's been your experience here or at another church or other Christian community where you've tried, where you've entered in, where you get into this place and it may not be laptop computers or YouTube videos and you may not have eye rolled or maybe you disguised it better, but you got into the front seat of your car on your drive home and you looked at your spouse and said, really, what are we doing here? What are are we trying to do here? Why are we doing this? I wonder if you've ever entered into the burden and the mess of Christian fellowship and communion and community. Paul, writing to the church of Colossae, has some things to say for how Christians ought to interact with one another in community and in relationships with one another. And that's the text that's before us. And we're just going to look at Colossians chapter 3, just a couple verses, but it will take the balance of our time, so don't worry. Let me just look at these verses together. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's just pause there. 
because I want to talk and I want to, I want to look at what Paul has to say here. One of the first things that he gets to is there's a foundation to Christian fellowship. There's a foundation to Christian community. There's a foundation that has to be there that is distinct for the fellowship of believers. And the first thing is this, that they identify with Jesus that they identify with Jesus. He says in verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. If we're going to be in relationships with other believers, the first thing that we have to recognize of yourself and of the person that you're seeking relationship with is that first of all, they are chosen by God. That they're chosen by God. That the person that you're talking to has been chosen by God Almighty. That they have been chosen from all of time and eternity to be a child of God. To be chosen. I wonder if you know what it is. How, what a, you understand what a, the joy that it is to be chosen and the pain that comes with not being chosen. Just think back to gym class when you're in elementary school or out on the playground. When you're going to play dodgeball and you're the kid standing there waiting for the captains who are going to pick the teams to look at or not look at you and pick you or not pick you. And if you're the first picked, you're amazing. If you're not picked, then you're just divvied up at the end as just sort of leftover, the chaff at the end. of. And, it, and they, expect, they wholly expect you to get out first. Right in the, in the dodgeball game, that's that's how it goes. We understand what it is to to the, for the for the joy of being able to say, "I choose you, I choose you, I pick you." Of all the people that I could pick, of all the things that I could do, I'm choosing you. You are the my chosen one. So, at the very foundation of Christian living in Christian relationship is this identification that comes with Jesus, because you are chosen. And then he goes on to say, not only are you chosen, but as a Christian, you are holy. What he doesn't mean here is that you're without sin. What he does mean is that you're set apart. You have been chosen by God and you have been set apart for God. That as a Christian person, as someone who identifies with Jesus, you have been chosen by him and you have been set apart for him. God chose a people. He chose a people not based on the significance of the people, but he chose Israel particularly because of their insignificance. He chose them because he wanted to choose them and so he chose. And so he chose you and he chose me. Not because of our significance, not because of our resume, not because of anything that we have done, simply because he chose. He chose us and set us apart for himself that we might live for him in a way that is pleasing and honoring to him. That you are chosen, that you are holy, and that you are dearly loved. That you are dearly loved by God. He chose you. He set you apart for himself because you are dearly loved by him. At the, bare, at the very foundational level of Christian relationship and Christian fellowship is the identity with Jesus Christ's people who have been chosen by God, who have been set apart for God, and who are dearly loved by God, so much so that he sent his son Jesus to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve, and to rise again on the third day, conquering death and hell, that we might be in relationship with God. The very foundational element of Christian relationship is identification with Jesus in ourselves and with those that we're seeking relationship with. That's the first thing he tells us here. 
The second thing is this, that when we, that, that we need to, not only are we identified with Jesus, but then we need to dress like Jesus. We need to dress like him. You say, that sounds weird. Uh, I know, but that's what it says. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because we dress like those we identify with. We, do, we just do. Go to any local high school and you can know who their friends are because the kids dress like those they identify with. Go to any sporting event and you know who they, who they, which team they're cheering for. Why? Because we address like those who we identify with. That's how we roll, right? That's just the way it is. And so it is that Jesus says that we are to, if we identify with Christ, or Paul says those who identify with Christ, are to clothe themselves like Christ with the characteristics of Christian relationship and community. And so he goes on to say, this is what it looks like for us to identify and to clothe ourselves with Jesus. This is what ought to characterize our relationship. If you like, this is the dress code. Or if you, if, uh, to put another way, Paul says, this is how you can dress for success. Success in the Christian life. Success in Christian relationships. Not dressing in success in ministry is not that you, that you become a preacher, that you devote yourself to full-time ministry. That may or may not be what God calls you to do. That somehow you build this amazing ministry or save thousands of people. Success is that you dress like Jesus tells you to dress, that you interact with his people the way he calls us to interact with his people. And he says, here's how you ought to dress. Clothe yourselves. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Now we could spend a whole sermon, we could send a whole sermon series just on those different characteristics and those attributes, and that would be a worthy time. That would be a worthy study and worthy of all of our time. But let me just ask you this. How have you been seeing each of these on display in your life? Have you been seeing these characteristics, the way that Jesus calls us to dress? Paul says, if you're identifying with Christ, if you're clothing yourself with the clothing of Christ, have you seen these things in your life in increasing measure in these days? As you've been talking with one another about the election, as you've been interacting with your colleagues at work, as you've been interacting on social media, have you been clothing yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and with patience in your interactions with your spouse, with your friends? Have you seen this happen in increasing measure? You see, all of us need a fashion consultant. I don't know if you're colorblind. Colorblind's being, it's hard. It's, I've been told, I'm not colorblind, but I've been told it's hard to pick out your outfits if you're colorblind. We're all blind spiritually to what we need. That's why God has given us his counselor. That's why he's given us his spiritual dress consultant for each and every one of us called his spirit. That is at work within us, reminding us and pricking us and convicting us and challenging us and helping us in order that we might grow and increase in our kindness and compassion and humility and relationship with one another, that we may grow in our dressing like Jesus so that we can foster relationships with one another so that we can live out Christian community together. Christian connection is based on our identity with Jesus. 
Christian community is formed as we seek to dress like Jesus. And finally this, Christian community has the bond of unity because we love like Jesus. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Christian relationships begin by understanding that we must have a common baseline, which is identifying with Jesus. That we then are seeking to clothe ourselves. The way in which we interact with one another has to do with compassion and has to do with humility and has to do with kindness and patience and gentleness with one another. The way that we interact. But then he goes on to say that we are to love and he starts to break out what love looks like and he begins with this. He says that we are to bear with one another. He says you are to bear with one another. Why? Because people are hard. Because it's difficult to live in Christian relationships and Christian community. But one of the distinctives of Christian relationships versus relationships where God is not the center, where Christ is not the identity, is that we bear with one another. Do you hear that? One of the distinctives of Christian connection, Christian community, is that we bear with one another. That we bear with one another. The longer I live as a Christian, particularly over the past 12 months, I think, this has become rich for me. This has become very poignant for me. That we are that one of the primary distinctives is that we bear with one another. And I'm being severely tested right now because my Cleveland Indians got beat by the Chicago Cubs. And so I'm bearing with those people and I'm failing miserably. I just want you to know. I'm confessing my sins. Tuesday was a hard day. I think there's two reasons. There's lots of reasons why we are, it's hard to bear with one another. But I think we need to bear with one another. Let me, first is this, let me just suggest two. First is because of frustration. Just because of frustration. Jesus, when he was walking with us, this is not something Jesus was unfamiliar with. When he's walking with his disciples and his disciples ask him questions and Jesus just stops and he goes, how long have I been with you? I mean, Guys, how long have I been with you? Don't, don't you get it? Don't you, don't you understand how? <laughs> Jesus understood the frustration of what it is to be in Christian community. And I know that we frustrate one another. I know that you've experienced it. If you've been around the church at all, then you've experienced frustration with other people that identify with Jesus and are seeking to clothe themselves and look like Jesus, and yet you say to yourself, how can that be? How can they act like that? How can they say those things? How can they have those bumper stickers? How can they wear those t-shirts? How can they be those people? How? And we get frustrated. How is it that they can say those things? How is it they can act that way? 
and we feel frustrated. Some of you have been frustrated with me. Some of it in publicly you've said so. Some of it privately because of the decisions that I've made, because of the leadership that I've given. And it's frustrating. And I will frustrate you. Know that it's not on purpose. <laughs> I don't think. As best as I know my own heart, it's not on purpose. So we seek to lead the church in a way that's pleasing and honoring to him. And yet sometimes the way that we do and the things that we say aren't exactly always or even if they are the way we mean them, they can be frustrating. I know that. Please know that I know. And it can be frustrating. And yet, in the midst of all of those realities, and you can fill in the blanks with whatever examples you like because there are plenty, the call for the Christian community is that we bear with one another because it is a distinctive of Christian community. Another reason is for, it's hard to bear with, is because, we, because of misunderstanding. Because we feel misunderstood. And I understand. Jesus understood what it was to be misunderstood. I mean, no greater place, I think, than when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before, at the paramount uh, uh, at the pinnacle of, of, of his life when he is there ready to go to the cross and he's pleading with his heavenly father if there is any way that he can go a different way, if there can be another plan, he's pleading and he brings his three best friends with him and he asks them to do one, two things, stay awake and pray. And what's the, what, what's, what do they do? They fall asleep. Three times he goes to his boys and say, guys, I'm just asking you to do one favor. I'm just asking, just do me this one solid, boys. That's all I'm asking for. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't hang. Do you think he understood? Do you think Jesus looks at those guys sleeping as he walks back from the third time before the soldier and just goes, oh my, stinking guys. Like what? If, he, if anybody understood what it is to be misunderstood by the people who claim to be followers of Jesus, it was Jesus himself. He understands. So do you. But Jesus calls his people and his church to bear with one another, not to bail out on one another. Jesus calls his people and his community to be with those who bear with one another, not those who bail out on one another. Because in our culture and in our day and in our age, the easy thing to do and the default setting is to bail. It just is. Because there's lots of options and you know, I might as well just go find one that's a little bit easier. One that maybe has a different flavor. Because when things, get mis when things get frustrating, when I feel like I'm misunderstood, like, and when I feel like I no longer fit in, then rather than trying to bear with one another, we bail out on one another, and then all of a sudden, you're sitting there looking at your friends and going, hey, where did so-and-so go? Oh, I don't know. I heard they're going over across town. Oh, I heard they went somewhere else. Oh, hey. Because that's easy. And some of you may be here, and you're bailing out. Well, let me tell you this. Go back. Love to have you here. If you don't have a church home, great. We'd love, if you just moved into town, great, fantastic. We'd love you. We would love for you to be a part of our community unless you're bailing out and then go back. Because we're trying to honor Christ here. We're trying to honor what he calls us to be because otherwise you're just gonna bail on us as soon as I frustrate you and as soon as you feel misunderstood, you're just gonna bail here too. You know how I know? 
because I had a pastor friend call me today, someone who left here, went to his church, and now they're bailing on his church. Because that's not Christian community. That's not what we're called to for here, what we're called to here. I don't mean to be unkind, but I do mean to be clear of what it means for us to be able to bear with one another in Christian relationships. A handful of years ago, 10, I don't know, it's been forever now. I was in England and I was speaking and, and I also got to be a part at this Christian Bible conference and then I was part of this Q&A panel. And then this girl asked, raises her hand and says to the panel, um, uh, this difference with her pastor, and I think her pastor, I don't know, in her opinion, didn't want to do community involvement or something as much as she wanted to be involved in the community. And it was all good cause. And she says, well, what do I do? So we all kind of gave our shot at it. And I said, well, you need to talk to your pastor and you need to try to work with him. And then I said, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, if eventually if you can't work, if you can't follow his leadership, you need to go somewhere else. And then they all just sort of stared. And then I realized that I'm an American in England. And even the pastors who were on the panel were like, mm-hmm. They just kind of gave one of those head turns. And, and then I started to sweat immediately. I'm like, oh, no. Um, because what it turned out is there was no other Orthodox Bible teaching church within the town. This was it. So she just had to suck it up and work it out with her pastor and with her community. And quite frankly, if, the, if following this teaching is what we're going to be about, then that's an advantage to her. Because she can't just walk down the street to another place that'll do. There wasn't another place that'll do. So she had to work this out in the context of that church. You say, well, I don't like that. I know. I'm not fond of it myself. Because you say, I don't, I don't really like being bearing with one another because it doesn't found, sound fun. It doesn't sound real sexy. And I can't, it's not a great slogan for a Hallmark card. I know. It does sound hard. But it's what we're called to. And quite frankly, it gets harder. Because then he goes on and he says, not only do we bear with one another, we are to forgive one another. You're... You're to forgive one another. There's that story in John chapter 21 when Jesus had died and then he rose again and then he cooks breakfast on the lakeside and his disciples were out fishing and then they come back and then Jesus takes Peter off by himself and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, well, Lord, you know I love you because Peter had denied Jesus three times and Jesus reinstates Peter. He reconciles with Peter. He forgives Peter for absolute, complete rebellion and denial of who he was. It's this beautiful connection and re- reconnection. Jesus understands what it is, the pain of forgiveness. True connection with one another will require forgiveness. If you're going to be in relationships with others, it will require forgiveness. Deep, real, painful forgiveness. I've been in the church my whole entire life. I've seen it. I've been, on the, I've been on the asking for forgiveness and on the giving of forgiveness. I understand the journey. That's church life. But that's what sets us apart from Christian community because you don't bail, you forgive. You don't run away, you run towards it. Because forgiveness is a form of suffering, friends. 
I think it was Bonhoeffer who said that. But I looked for it, I couldn't find it, so I'm giving him credit for it anyway. It wasn't me. Forgiveness is a form of suffering. Because if you've truly been, if you've truly been offended, if you've truly been wounded, it's not enough to just say, no, no, that's fine, it's okay. That's not forgiveness. If you've truly been wounded to your very core, then what forgiveness is, is for you to be able to say to that person, then I choose to never use this against you ever again in in public or in private, in my own thinking or in my own heart, and I will leave this with Jesus once and for all. That's forgiveness, and that is suffering. If you've been truly wounded, if you've been truly hurt, that's what it is. Forgiveness is brutal. But that's exactly what Jesus did for you. That Jesus, that all of us have lived in rebellion against him and then Jesus came and went to the cross and he says, come, that we may receive forgiveness for our rebellion. And so as a result of that, when we stare at the cross and recognize the forgiveness that we have received, then friends, we stand up and we can do hard things for Jesus. You can do hard things for Jesus. You can love hard people for Jesus. You can forgive hard things for Jesus. We must because Jesus calls us to it. So what he calls us to. We are to forgive as the Lord forgave you. You are a child of God who's been set apart, has been set apart as holy and dearly loved by God. So therefore, go and forgive and bear with one another. So can I ask you, who do you need to forgive? What offense do you need to lay down and leave at the foot of the cross of Jesus? Who do you need to ask for? Who do you need to ask forgiveness from this week? And what's your plan to go do it? And what's your plan? If we are going to love like Jesus, then we need to bear with one another. We need to forgive one another. We need to love one another. That's what this looks like, verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another is what love looks like. My wife is telling me about, she just, this week, I, I can't remember exactly the specifics, but she said that she was talking with someone who had lost their grandfather just over these last couple of days, and they were in their upper 90s. The grandfather was in their upper 90s. And he, and she said, and he and his wife were married for, if I, I got this right, 74 years. 74 years. How do you stay married for 74 years? I'll tell you how you stay married for 74 years. You bear with one another. Right? You stop trying to fix each other and you just go, yep. <laughs> People go, that, that isn't right. I know. <laughs> High five me on that. Mm. You learn to bear with one another and you learn to forgive one another. You don't make 74 years if you don't learn to bear with one another and if you don't learn to love one. You don't make 74. And what happens? Then all of a sudden, then some st guy with a microphone standing on a stage when the guy's dying and says they were married for 74 years and all of you do what? Oh, because they were a bond together in unity. 
That's what Christians, that's what the Christian community is to be about. Where people, and then the people outside the church are absolutely amazed because it makes no sense. Because it goes against every, anything that's instinctual because you're humble, because you're compassionate, because you show humility and kindness and gentleness towards one another in the face of things that are brutal and difficult and hard. But because of Jesus Christ, because he went to the cross, because he rose again, we can do hard things for Jesus. You can do hard things for Jesus. Well, my friend Addie Zyerman, she has a couple of friends who are her people. But she writes this. Let me just read this to you and then we'll close. I have a couple of friends who are my people. And while they live far away and I don't see them as often as I would like, they are my people. They are my dark and twisty outlet. They are the women who know every bit about my past and know what I'm thinking before I say it. They are the space where I can lose my way and dance it out and cry and laugh and be every inch of the mess that I am. And over the years, I've had lots of small group experiences. Many of have been good. Some have been hard. None have been the deep gut TV plot, you are my people kind of friendships that I have had with those girls. It has taken me more than a decade to finally be okay with that. Over the course of my own faith shift and my slow reimagining, I've come to believe that a small group or a Bible study or a church community is not meant to be our people in that easy, seamless way of best friends. Maybe they're meant to be our people in that complicated, frustrating, and beautiful way of family. Maybe that's the reason these spaces of intentional Christian community are so valuable. Not because we're besties who can finish each other's sentences, but precisely because we can't. In Christian community, we find people we understand and people we don't. People we agree with and people we don't. Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and in-betweens. Starry-eyed believers and rough faith cynics and everyone or everywhere along the spectrum. We are different races and colors and personalities and sexes. We have baggage of different weights and shapes and colors, and it informs us each differently. We love different music and shows and activities and food. We are married and unmarried, glass half full, glass, glass half full, and glass almost empty. And we all belong. We all bring something to the table. We look at the Bible differently. We bring our own takes on things, our own, hor our own harmonies, our own voices. And without that, without the diversity of opinion and thought, without the way we rub uncomfortably against each other, without that, we might actually think we got it right. We might actually mistakenly think we've actually understood God. Can we be that type of community? That we rub each other against each other uncomfortably, we frustrate one another, we feel misunderstood, but we don't bail and we don't quit and we do hard things for Jesus Christ. Can we be that type of community where we walk this, this faith together, where we work it out together, all for the glory of God? This is maturing and growing and being all in for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you 
not as those who are a perfect community who have it all well-informed and informed and all buttoned down. We don't. But we do come to you in dependence upon you, asking that somehow you would use our best efforts. Somehow you might be able to use our feeble attempts at community and relationship, but we do so for the glory of your son. And because we need to, because we need one another in order to experience you in deep and rich and real ways. We come to you in dependence. We come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.